Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Uh, today, uh, it has been a couple of weeks uh, since we uh, had our last uh, episode, uh, largely due to the um, uh, impact of the uh, coronavirus um, pandemic on my commute. Uh, I've been working from home the last month or so and as a result, I don't really have uh, the uh, free time where I... Uh, have nothing to do but chat about role-playing games. Um, so, uh, what I thought I'd do is talk about the. Um, I think the last episode is when I talked about the plans for the pandemic game and kind of the the fallout from some of our uh, Sunday uh, players as a result of that. So I thought I'd do an update as to where things stand on that, uh, our regular games, and uh, talk a bit about a game that I've been reading quite a bit lately as well too. So, uh, and then. Um, I don't really have any other specific topics, but if I remember anything, and I've had some people ask uh, to ask me to touch on a couple of things, but to be honest, I forgot to look at that list. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so that's what we're in for today. Uh, let's get to the episode. All right. So since uh, our last uh, episode, the really the only games we've been running have been Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition and um, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers Hyperborea. On uh, Wednesdays and Fridays, we've been playing uh, our Night Below campaign with um, uh, with Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. And on uh, uh, alternate Saturdays, we've been playing, or continuing with our Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyperborea game. And then we've also added uh, the other Saturday-Sunday sessions that we have. Uh, we have been uh, playing... Uh, let's see here, what is it? Oh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 2nd Edition using this uh, adventure that was published during the uh, D&D Next playtest called Legacy of the Crystal Shark. And the, uh, yeah, so we're, we're six sessions in. We just had uh, yesterday our sixth session of the uh, Crystal Shard game. We had our 31st session of Night Below uh, not long ago as well. And we had our I think it's 30th or 31st session of Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyperborea as well. Um, I know we hit our 30th, but I can't remember if it was uh, if we had one more after that. But in any event, like we're we're quite deep into uh, many of those campaigns. The um, the Ash campaign, which I've mentioned many times on this podcast, has continued on really really well. And that one, uh, if you're uh, new to the podcast, that one is played with Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyperborea from. Um, uh, Jeff Talanian and uh, Northwind uh, Press, not Northwind Publishing, and um, yeah, like we we had a uh, an event where the session where the characters um, basically uncovered over the, over the last couple of sessions, the characters have uncovered a uh, kind of a doorway in the basement of their. Uh, of their keep, and they had gone through that uh, doorway. What it, it was a portal made out of black steel and you know uh, strange apparatus that they couldn't understand, and we had uh, purple lightning playing all over it. But then uh, it led through to an, an enormous uh, corridor that had high ceilings, uh, higher than any man would need. You know, fifteen foot tall ceilings, all made out of black metal as well, and the. Uh, players started exploring that, and then what they found was that there were some, uh, what do you call them, uh, denizens of Lang, 
uh, and uh, Beastmen uh, on the far side as well too. They're not. They haven't had a chance to explore and figure out what they were doing over there. But they got attacked by a bunch of beastmen, and the last time that the players had a massive encounter with beastmen was when they had initially assaulted Iron Fang Keep, the place that is now their stronghold, um, or at least for the time for the time being, it is because they have a an army outside uh, that is uh, facing them as well, or trying to seize the keep from them, and we'll have to see what goes on there. But uh, but it was uh, the last, so we had a, this, one of the sessions that, that we had this month was a really uh, big fight that was brutal, you know, and um, regular listeners will know, or people who view the, the uh, YouTube channel uh, will know that we have, uh, uh, we have, uh, let's see here, uh, added in, sorry, I'm, it's been a while since I've been recording and driving at the same time. <laughs> um, apparently uh, talking and uh, walking is, is uh, tricky at the same time. Uh, so what we ended up seeing is, or having is the, the players, rather, I saw, sorry, regular viewers will know that I use this uh, narrative meta currency called Astonishing Fortune. And uh, the uses that uh, Astonishing Fortune can be put to in Ash, or my version of Ash at least, is a lot more, uh, it's a lot more diverse and there's a lot more, you know, um, powerful things you can do. You can get an automatic save, you can... Um, get a uh, negate a hit uh, you can not die and players make smart use of that stuff and uh, the difference in that campaign is uh, as opposed to the AD&D games is in that one the Astonishing Fortune oh it can also be used to re-roll uh, a roll too so if you missed an attack you can spend your Astonishing Fortune to do that um, I have uh, or I track Astonishing Fortune individually in that game so it's each individual person uh, who has it, and when they spend it, there it's gone. And then other players can spend their astonishing fortune to try and benefit other players, but they need to give a in fiction ex- explanation for how their characters uh, are interfering with that. You know, it could be like di- diving to get someone out of the way. It could be, uh, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, like they've, we've come up with some other uh, you know, residual effects of a magical spell that was cast on them before. And uh, what the last couple of sessions have taught me is, uh, you know, uh, the obviously Astonishing Fortune does not exist in, uh, you know, old school games and that kind of, you know, uh, plot immunity or potential plot immunity armor doesn't, you know, it's not for everyone's uh, old school style of play. But the fun thing with it is uh, it allows us to have really uh, potentially lethal encounters, which have proved lethal in, in the past, um, without, um, you know... Uh, without it being just a matter of a bad dice roll, you know, like, uh, critical hits are used in Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyperborea, and we, in that session, one of the Beastmen got a critical hit and hit max, and they did, like, close to 30 points of damage, uh, and so it was useful, uh, you know, having that Astonishing Fortune, because that was just a really shitty roll of the dice, and the characters at this point are between levels, uh, four and, I think, five, four and five, or four and six, uh, which is uh, really, I mean, it's three actually. So we did have a new uh, player join and a new character join. So, and I think she is only level three right now. Um, but the, yeah, the, so that that encounter was, oof, boy, oh boy, that was a really really fun encounter. Uh, and the beastmen are proving to be really difficult uh, adversaries. So I think when the players face them, they know that it's not going to be a walkover. They do, um, they've got a, you know, fairly decent bucket of hit points and, and they do, uh, an awful lot of damage when they hit as well. 
uh, and I've been uh, adding some uh, uh, like class levels onto some of the bosses as well too to give them a, a more you know uh, more of a distinctive dangerous feel to them and boy does that uh, certainly play out at the table when the players have their favorable attack rounds because the way I run multiple attacks in old school games is I just say on the second round uh, like on even rounds is when you get your multi, your more beneficial attack rate on odd rounds you get your less beneficial attack rate and the way that plays out is you know uh, people always know when they've got their second attacks and when monsters start getting multiple attacks oh boy that really uh, has an effect on uh, the player uh, response to those particular monsters. But so after that big, big fight, we uh, the characters went back and we had a pretty good uh, role play heavy session. Uh, this the time afterwards, they uh, freed uh, a strange uh, character from the basement, uh, who's uh, Skakoko, I think is no. Uh, gosh, I can't remember what the character's name is. He's a uh, uh, First Nations character, uh, for like a Salish uh, character who was imprisoned who appears to be member a member of this ancient ranger you know organization uh and the um the characters he also referred to himself as the stranger um and yeah i mean it was they had a interesting conversation with him uh they learned i guess he cast some doubt on the the utility or the trustworthiness I guess of one new uh, ally they have made uh, a, a witch they've been working with and um, yeah I'm trying to think what else happened oh they nearly had a mutiny too which was really cool uh, so what I did is after the, the uh, after that fight with the beastman it, it left two of our heroes um, below zero hit points so they were dragged up from the basement and what I decided to do is because you know two of the big heroes from this were suddenly, um, you know, we're suddenly at uh, very, very little, uh, you know, we're, we're suddenly rendered uh, unconscious and, and in need of emergency medical services. Uh, what I did is I rolled morale uh, for the uh, for the army. Uh, you know, they've lost half their number, the army, and they have been uh, subject to a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, they've been um, uh, subject to a siege for a couple of days, and then now uh, they, you know, their allies are seeing uh, or their commanders, they're seeing part of them uh, nearly die as a result of some unknown, you know, threat or presence in the basement uh, of this uh, keep. So, you know, not only they're being, this is the proverbial, you know, the phone calls coming from inside the house thing. So, uh, so the, I made the roll and it failed. So then I, I gave the upper, the players an opportunity to sort of address that where they, one of them overheard to the commanders talking about sending out a, um, a like a, an envoy uh, to the attacking army to see about uh, surrendering, and it was interesting seeing how the players responded to it. They decided to, uh, you know, to at first they were going to try and like rationalize with them. Actually, I can't remember what they were planning on doing. I think one of them wanted to leave heads on spikes, which likely would not have helped the situation, um, but. Another one decided to uh, to try to do like a you know um, uh, what's the uh, Henry the whatever uh, speech uh, the Agincourt speech is that what it's called I don't know um, oh St Christmas Day that's what it's called um, and yeah it was uh, it was pretty cool like the um, the characters did this really they drew, you know brought up a corpse of one of these undead thing or uh, these inhuman things. And then uh, he did his big speech, and the 
yeah, uh, they rolled. Uh, I rolled a uh, uh, impression, like a reaction uh, check for them, using the uh, gave them a little bit of a bonus because it was really good role playing, and they got amazing. Like they got an incredible one. So I actually allowed them to uh, bump the morale of the army up by one. Uh, the the army was now loyal again, and they were not going to. Uh, yeah, they were not going to betray our our heroes. So um, so yeah, we ended with sort of like them having this. It's just really, you know, dramatic uh, scene where the players were, you know, thumping on, uh, they, they were, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, they were uh, brought up with that, uh, that uh, creature, they um, set the creature, you know, on the ground, and then each of them, they had each of the their allies come up and stab the creature one at a time, and then I, I added that basically as they were doing that, the other members of the army started banging on their shields and and that singing a war chant. So by the end of it, they had the whole army was banging on their shields and everyone singing and the uh, song carried out over the the hall the walls of Iron Fang Keep and and were heard as far as the camp of the enemy army. So it was pretty it was a pretty cool and pretty dramatic thing and it was a really neat uh, uh, example of the kind of emergence you know. Uh, uh, adventure emergent play that comes from this style of uh, of game you know the the morale check uh, is not something that we would have anticipated beforehand um you know we wouldn't have uh yeah it was just it was just a fun coincidence you know and uh and that was the majority of the session i don't think we fought anything again uh, that session they shut down the gate in the basement, um, and I think that's where we left things. I can't remember. I think there was a cliffhanger, but I don't remember offhand. Um, so that's Ash. That's where Ash stands. Maybe what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll end this one here, and I'll continue on in a new uh, segment. All right. So um, that's how Ash has been going, which is to say, really, really well. Next up is our Night Below campaign, and the Night Below campaign has been. Uh, we've got, I guess, about eight more sessions of it since our last uh, episode, and uh, that campaign's been going very, very well as well. Uh, we uh, we regularly have about like six or seven players uh, for each time. I think there's eight in total who play, but there's usually uh, six or seven who show up for each session, which is really, really fun. Um, the players have plumbed. Uh, the depths of, I guess, the last like month or so has been uh, dealing with this uh, this goblin warren at um, uh, Heather Heathertop Tor. They're calling it now. Um, it's Heathertop Warren, and they've made their way down to finally the third level of this uh, uh, of this complex. Uh, they have fought uh, some really, I mean, some interesting uh, creatures along the way. Uh, they have, we've had, oh, you know, one thing I, I forgot to mention about our Ash one, which reminds me of what happened in our Night Below campaign is both of them had the first instance of mind control, um, which was really interesting, uh, because they, uh, there are, in both campaigns, we've got characters who are, you know, incredible damage dealers, you know, massive, uh, uh, you know, fighters with um, specialization and, and great stats and whatever, and, and magic weapons in some cases. And so they do an, an awful lot of damage. Uh, and in both campaigns, we've had, uh, you know, the oopsies, one of the, uh, one of the, if not the most damage dealing uh, characters get mind controlled. Uh, in Ash, it was the uh, abilities of the, uh, what do you call it, of the, um, 
denizens of Leng. Uh, they, they have an ability to play these pipes which cause you to uh, you become charmed or suggested or commanded. And that was pretty amazing. We, we had a, a nearly a character death as a result of friendly fire where our archer was uh, mind controlled and he got, I believe it was back-to-back crits on uh, one of the uh, other characters which is crazy, like it just, it did a, a shit ton of damage, uh, so they nearly dropped one of the uh, player characters, um, and then it was only through the intervention of uh, Astonishing Swords, Astonishing uh, Fortune, that uh, it really saved his bacon, um, and even then, like, you know, to, to show how great the players are with role, play, you know, like rolling with the uh, role play, what the player of that character decided was that, you know, uh, as a result of that shot, even though the character was saved because of the Astonishing Fortune, um, it it was an arrow that pierced her neck, and uh, he started role playing her as having a different voice, as if like her her uh, voice box was, uh, or vocal cords were, were damaged, which is pretty fucking cool. Um, and and also a great you know guilty reminder that also led to another really cool role playing thing where the, that archer after being mind controlled he immediately took and broke his bow over his knee uh, he was so upset with having killed or nearly killed one of the uh, player characters in the middle of the fight so that was pretty interesting and then in our most recent uh, session of night below the characters reached a point where uh, and we're well off you know, script uh, at this point too. I've, I've, um, in the official Night Below campaign, the Goblins of the Ring are at best like a one, maybe two session uh, adversary. Uh, but I beefed them up, and I'm, I've added more links to the overall campaign. And we've spent, God, like two months, I think, uh, of play at least, uh, dealing just with those guys, those adversaries, and <clears throat> maybe longer actually. But the um, the characters or the um, what he calls the the most recent thing that came up was these uh, spirits. They they appear to be goblins, but they speak uh, elven or elvish, and the they have an ability to uh, try. Characters are going to make a save versus uh, spell, or the uh, ghosts inhabit their their brains. You know, they they inhabit their bodies. It's a, kind of like a ghost version of magic uh, jar from um, AD&D, and I have the wonderful um, Van Richten's Guide to Ghosts to thank for that, because it was, I was uh, poking through my, I wanted to do something interesting with this particular set of uh, adversaries, and uh, I was reading through the William W. Connors written uh, Van Richten Guides, Van Richten's Guide to Ghosts for Ravenloft for uh, second edition, and it was, oh my god, has tons of great ideas for how to, uh, like how, how to incorporate, you know, ghost ideas and concepts and some neat abilities you could give them and also how to scale them as well, which is great because ghosts as written are like a 10 hit dice creature. So it's really far too powerful for most, uh, starting or even like low level, uh, campaigns, but they gave you some good rules for making low level ghosts. And, uh, in our campaign, the characters are around, third level uh, on average uh, second or third level no I think there's only one or two that are second still but for the most part the characters are third level already and um, yeah it's it was a, a really fun session and then like that campaign in general has just been 
enormously fun each time. Like the characters have been learning uh, more about the history. What there's the structure they've been exploring has been um, designed by uh, these uh, elves that seem to specialize or master uh, earth uh, elemental spells. Uh, so they're like stone masters and. You know, there's a, a link in there to the uh, overall campaign uh, as well, to stuff that happens later in the campaign, but I don't want to say any more in fear of spoiling anything for the players, but it's, it's a, it was a, f- uh, it's, I've been having an enormous amount of fun with this particular campaign, particularly because I've had lots of opportunities to add my own shit in there without disrupting the campaign. You know, like the the arc of where this campaign is supposed to kind of, you know, quote unquote, supposed to kind of go, is still being followed. Um, but and the characters are learning more, and yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's a really, really, really fun game to run. Uh, the AD and D itself, AD and D second, uh, is a fa- fantastic system. Uh, the yeah, I mean, we've um, we've been having a, a great deal of fun with it. I, I love how big we can make these fights go without uh, slowing down things. And I know I've said that before on the channel, but, like, you know, being able to reasonably run a fight straight without having to abstract and use, like, minion rules or mob rules or whatever uh, to, to run a 50-zombie fight with my players, that is the thing that I can absolutely do with this. Now, if I was playing in person, it would be different because like, that's a huge amount of miniatures to keep track of. But on uh, Roll20, where we play, it's super easy. It's very easy to populate the map with those things, very easy to set up the dynamic lighting uh, such that the players can't see the full effect and you get that awesome, like, oh shit, there's so many more than I thought, you know, kind of moment with the players. And um, yeah, just it's... Uh, it's a really, really fun... I mean, the, the zombies are actually in our uh, Crystal Shard campaign, but... Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's proving to be a really, really fun session, and I... I or fun campaign. I'm, I'm, I have absolutely no interest in uh, setting this one aside. I mean, we're... This is something we have been playing since December. Uh, every Wednesday, every Wednesday, every Wednesday, every Friday, with the exception of one Friday, where we had... Uh, a uh, fill-in game. We only had two people show up, and we were at just at a point where we couldn't really, or it was three people. Uh, we couldn't really just run a game with three, so I ended up running a Starfinder pickup uh, for that one. But otherwise, we've been, you know, playing this campaign religiously, and it's been really, really cool. I'm, I'm very interested to see the characters uh, advance through to those like mid-range, lower to mid-range uh, levels too, because like I. Um, I, you know, my understanding is the game is a different animal once you reach a certain level, right? Like once you hit level, um, gosh, what is it? I think it's level, uh, well, five is where you get fireball and that's when a whole new, you know, kind of a whole new world opens up for you. And I'm very interested to see what, you know, what the, what, what kind of game we'll be having when, when that's been going on. And I, I, because I haven't, I mean, our Ash game does have characters that level, and we do play with big, um, you know, a big group in that one as well, but we don't really have um, a strictly dedicated caster. You know, uh, we have some warlocks in that campaign, we've got some, uh, a rune graver who's the closest we've got to a cleric in that one, 
Um, but we don't have anyone who's a dedicated caster like a priest or a wizard or, or rather like a, one of the sorcerer classes like mage or um, yeah so and we do in this game we do in Night Below which is going to be very interesting to see there's an illusionist who's getting a higher level I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with that uh, we've got an evoker who is going to be very interesting to see because evokers are always pretty darn cool um, but yeah I mean overall it's a it's a really uh, terrific uh, campaign. I, I'm, it's giving me exactly what I wanted out of it, which is just a regular, a real fun play to see what happens kind of experience at the table. Um, we've got a fantastic group of players uh, for it. Um, yeah, I mean, you just, it's it's a real sign of just how much fun we're all having, of how much we laugh, you know, through each session as well too, which is uh, it's great. Like the, the chemistry with the players is really good. And, um, yeah, and I, what we've got coming uh, in this particular campaign is going to be really, really fun. So, yeah, and that one has been a really fun... Last thing I'll say on this is seeing how ADD plays out in a sandbox. I expected that it was going to be as good as what uh, Ash has been uh, for me. And uh, it certainly did not disappoint. Uh, it's it's a great game for sandboxing. I, I love the... Players may not love it, but I, I love the training rules. Uh, I think that they give the game the necessary room to breathe by uh, taking time and making uh, time go by. So I, uh, yeah, and it's something the players plan for as well too. You know, the players plan for the money and the time to uh, to get their training once they hit a new level. Um, it also makes the game proceed at a, I think, a better pace. You know, because they have to take that time to go back and train, I think it, um, you know, their characters are more likely to retreat from a certain thing. If they hit a certain level, they'll pull back and then they will um, go get their training done and then come back and, uh, you know, carry on with the adventure, uh, whatever they're trying to do. Like, they've been back and forth to uh, Heathertop Warren where all these goblins have been, in, have been uh, lurking. They've done that over the span of about two and a half months. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying that game. Uh, love the characters, love the players, love the story. Can't wait to, uh, yeah, uh, they're, they're very, very close to completing, I guess, like the first like mega dungeon, uh, or dungeon that they've, uh, they've encountered. And it's going to be very gratifying to see what, uh, what happens at the end of that. And it's been, you know, it's been interesting seeing the, the, uh, how they're responding to the increased uh, level of uh, threat with each um, progressive level. Because uh, at the initial, you know, original levels, uh, they um, they were just facing goblins. They were challenging, definitely, but, I mean, it was just goblins. And then they encountered these things called uh, terror hounds, which is a, uh, a, re, uh, a renamed monster from uh, AD&D. And they've been pretty... They were pretty awesome. Uh, very challenging for the characters. But once they kind of figured out how to fight them, uh, they did a hell of a lot better the second time they faced them because uh, they faced a second pack of them uh, about, gosh, um, a couple days after the first one uh, in, in game time. And, and now they're onto a new level where they're facing a whole bunch of new threats, including this these mind-controlling goblin ghosts or goblin elf ghosts and... Man, oh man, like they were, um, 
they, I think they, the players definitely were freaked out by those. Uh, the most powerful fighter in the group, uh, he got mind controlled, and his AC is insanely low, and his damage output is pretty respectable. And uh, the, he, having him turned on the party definitely made the characters think about, okay, shit, 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 we got to think of some way of, uh, of dealing with this. Uh, and it, we can't just hit him until he falls down. Because uh, A will probably not hit him, and B, like he's got a huge amount of hit points, and he's doing out damage at the same time. So it was cool. It's going to be cool to see how they respond to the other challenges they'll be facing as they, uh, you know, as they make their way down into the um, into the depths. So anyway, so that is uh, the state of our A D and D game. Okay, so I guess the last one to deal with uh, for. State of play is uh, our um, Legacy of the Crystal Shard uh, game. So the Legacy of the Crystal Shard has alternated between about uh, seven or eight players and ten players, uh, for depending on the session. And you'd think that that it would get unwieldy uh, with that many players, but you know the group that we're playing with seems to work like you know I, I've mentioned on the channel before uh, or on the channel on the uh, podcast before about fit with um, you know with gaming groups and you know one of the questions I, I get I I've for the end of last year or quite a bit of last year as the, the channel's been uh, YouTube channel's been getting more uh, subscribers more attention I've been having people ask about uh, joining the game and you know the the the, the, my, the reason I've been sticking to a set roster of players is uh, partly because it's, you know, they're dependable. Um, I mean, for, obviously, first off, because they're all great players. Secondly, because, you know, they are um, not only reliable in, in the sense of uh, showing up for sessions um, and showing up ready to play, uh, but also because I know the fit is going to be fine. You know, I know that the uh, I'm not going to have players who are showing up expecting a very different gaming experience than what I'm offering and what the other players are expecting. You know, um, we uh, we had a little bit of that with the first couple of sessions where um, some players, uh, I think, in the Crystal Shard game who hadn't played with each other before were maybe trying to play a different, you know, um, a different style of play. But I think that the they very quickly read the room and sort of... Uh, adopted their play style to, to fit with what the, you know, what the, the group was playing. And, you know, I mean, that's, um, a group of, of, an, of players, just like any other group of, of individuals is going to always be, um, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a living kind of organism on, on itself. That's going to, you know, different people will respond to different people in different ways and different people will, uh, synergize with different people in different ways. And it just seems that the group that we've got that we're playing with in the, in those, in those particular campaigns, it just works really, really well. You know, like, um, I can focus for me as, as a DM, the players have good interaction. There's good discussion. There's not just everyone going along with one idea. There, there are different kind of ideas and different viewpoints that are presented and discussed. And, um, we had, as I mean, is, is always the case in most role-playing games. We had a one, uh, session of the, uh, crystal shard game where there's a lot of talking like a good chunk of the session was all just kind of planning and there's a lot of like yeah but if this yeah but if that and that's you know like that's totally 
part of the fun of role-playing games is, is talking about what you want to do and planning and whatnot, but um, that particular session did go a little bit longer than it needed to for the planning, but the players kind of caught that, and we found a way to sort of structure the conversations better. And then in subsequent sessions, they've just been like, okay, we don't want to spend, we don't want to lose our time just discussing, so let's just figure out which of the two obvious options we want to take and go with that. And that worked really, really well. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, the the reason that I stick with the roster for now uh, is is because of that. You know, like having those known factors and being able to fill, you know, I mean, the 10 seats uh, at some of the games, uh, that's more players than I, you know, uh, there's a lot of games I couldn't manage that many players and have still of a reasonable uh, game. Um, this particular uh, group just works, it works very, very, it, make, it takes one a problem off of my table, which is worrying about how the the fit of the table and the, and the dynamics and the chemistry of the table is gonna is gonna work. I know that I can uh, predict how uh, that's gonna play out at the table, and that is an enormous part of why I'm enjoying those AD and D games so much. Is because the chemistry at the table with the players is just so much fun. You know, and the system gets out of our way. Um, it's yeah, I don't know. I mean, like it's, it's um, in, in this particular campaign, it is uh, it's interesting seeing a more story focused uh, AD and D game as opposed to our Night Below, which is a uh, a sandbox. This one is to a degree a sandbox in the sense that players can go and do what they want, um, you know. But I mean, there are and by, they can do what they want in the sense of like pick from the different kind of problems that are happening in the Icewind Dale. And the players have done that, you know, and, and we may, we've made it clear that, look, there's going to be, the adventure is designed such that there are going to be more problems than you can deal with. So if you feel like you're being stretched too thin and you're not able to deal appropriately or effectively with all the different challenges you're facing, that's a feature, not a bug of the campaign. And that, that's, you know, that may be a level of, like, you know, metagame uh, discussion that uh, some groups are not comfortable with, but we're fine with it. You know, um, and the... Oh, I had another comment, too. Someone had uh, commented recently about how they didn't... Uh, they found that the, you know, uh, um, having to have all the characters have a reason for buy-in for the campaign. They're like, oh, well, that's just... I don't know. I, I wouldn't have done it that way. And that's a perfect example of, like, every table's different. You know, what's right for my table is not going to be right for yours. And what's right for your table may not be right for mine. You know, there's absolutely no absolutes in um, role-playing games apart from the fact that you need to make it the fit, the game fit right for your table. You know, and that may be running the game rules as written. It may be, you know, allowing players to come in with the elaborate backstories that dictate how the story's going to play out. Or maybe that, you know, you don't want to go through the, the hassle um, or the, it's not hassle, that's a pejorative way of describing it. But you don't want to go through the process of like, and this is how so-and-so meets, and this is how so-and-so meets, and this is what motivates them to go and do things. That's fine if that's the game you want to run. Um, that's not the game that I want to run <laughs> for these. I don't. I want the players to bring to me clear motivations for why their characters are doing these things. Um, I don't want to have to fish for reasons to uh, get them engaged in the story. Um, that's just. Uh, I just. We're here to play a, a role-playing game. Let's get to the meat of it. Um, it's not to say that you know I. I try. I try and just give shitty explanations. I try and give good in-character reasons for why players would be pursuing, uh, the characters would be pursuing the things they're pursuing. But, you know, um, 
having characters who, who are not engaged and do not have a baked in reason for uh, uh, what do you call it, for going along with this I uh, going along with the campaign I just I just do not have time for that especially with big groups um, oh actually it reminds me too we had uh, was um, so we had a character that was introduced in the first little uh, first bit of the campaign we've had our first fatality in our uh, legacy of the crystal shard campaign too and that was a character who just I think the player was probably playing him for laughs um, but <laughs> the the character's dead now, uh, and and completely uh, by by his own hand. Uh, the character had involved himself in the in a fight with uh, Yeti in the first uh, session of it, and then he decided to go off on his own and uh, confront a a pretty what was clear a, a, a nasty adversary. So yeah, so that character um, uh, shuffled off his mortal coil fairly quickly, and also I mean that particular character was being played in, uh, you know, the character was, was sort of a riff on um, Elric, it was a, a pun, and like, I I really don't, I don't like having that stuff in, in the game, um, and this is strictly for my own sensibilities, but like, I don't like silly, uh, in, intentionally silly or wacky in my games, I prefer things to be funny, because they're funny, not because they're, they're can you know, contrived to be that way. Uh, so, what was I saying, the, um, yeah, so the, the character, I, I don't really, I don't like that stuff, just because it just doesn't suit my sensibility i don't like the um i don't like the intentional wacky or gonzo stuff it just i don't find it funny i find it irritating um and um this character wasn't that bad like he wasn't like you know a muppet or something like that it's just it was clear it was a uh a, a, you know an attempt to make a kind of a comedic version of elric uh and it just when you've got a character like that in and you're presenting a world that is does not fit the sensibilities it you know it's clear that it doesn't work um like at one point the character tried to throw his two-handed sword and one of the things that i do really like about AD&D is that and I, and I try to enforce is that it's not that like superhero you know um anime or like cartoonish kind of level of of action that's fine if that's the game you're going for but I, what that's not the kind of uh, aid that's not uh, in in this particular campaign at least and, and in my other AD&D ones I don't I don't like running that so I am I basically said look if you were get a nat 20 you'll get a hit but otherwise it's gonna be a mess because you're trying to he wasn't particularly strong and he was trying to throw a you know a however heavy a two-handed sword is 15 20 pounds or whatever it is um, 60 feet or something like that. So I said, all right, well, you know, nat 20, you'll, you'll do it, but otherwise it's a mess. So he, and of course he missed. So he tossed his sword away. And, um, but this is the follow-up character that was made to replace that one, the first one. And, and to be clear, like I didn't kill the character. I didn't, uh, I, the, I was fine with dealing with that character. And like the other, you know, aspects of that campaign, I figured that the character, the, the, uh, character would, be reined in a bit from that initial idea just because the he would learn to the player would learn to read the room and just play that character more appropriate to what everyone else's sort of uh approach to the campaign was um but the player took that decision out of my hands by putting the character in a position where there was really no answer other than like well he's dead he showed up at, at an uh you know an enemy base with no backup with one hit point and that was that and i think the player kind of maybe decided that that was the way that character needed to go out and he wanted to play something different um i don't i don't know one way or the other but that's how it played out um and uh that you know um that's a good example of how like you know uh, 
because I've, I've, this particular player has, has played in um, a year's worth of games as well, too. And he's a great player. So sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, um, when you're kicking off a new game, letting that that new group dynamic. And it was a very different group dynamic than what we had been playing with as well. Like the, the group dynamic with just the um, uh, just the individual uh, with smaller groups of, of players we had been playing with. It's not the same as playing with the, you know, a big group of, of players that are, um, and, and in particular, uh, some of the other players who play more regularly on, on the channel. So they, um, I, I'm, uh, I have more playtime with them than I do with uh, some of the other players. But um, the way the campaign has played out has been very cool. Like so far, some of the highlights have been that we've got at least one major NPC the players fucking hate, which is awesome. Um, they've got some NPCs that it seems like they really like, which is also awesome. Um, they've got some clear goals in mind. And the, this particular campaign itself ha does a really interesting job of responding dynamically to what the players are doing over the course of the campaign. So it's going to be a lot of fun seeing where players go. And we've had our, our first, the, the, la the most recent session was a cliffhanger ending with the players having a uh, massive fight with like, like I said, 50 zombies. And they're mostly first level. Now in this campaign, I'm not doing the training. I'm, I'm letting the characters just hit the second level or third level or whatever uh, as they get enough XP for it. Um, but that's f because this is a shorter campaign because we don't play as often as we do with the other ones. I don't really care if they gain levels faster and I don't need the passage of time. The passage of time is actually an enemy of this particular game because of the uh, ticking clock element shit's happening and as i said like they can't deal with everything so the players have to be um you know kind of pick the things that they're going to deal with knowing that there's going to be things they won't deal with that they will have consequences for later so because of that ticking clock i don't want too much time to pass and i'm fine with the players just gaining levels because it's cool gaining levels in these games and um getting that second level in uh AD and D is always pretty sweet as well too. Getting more levels is great, but that getting that first second level where you where you hit points potentially double, pretty sweet. So anyway, so that's the state of the uh, uh, the crystal shard one. Uh, it's been good to see how many people have been showing up because uh, it has been, you know, it was intended to be something to give people a break from the COVID crisis. Um, and in addition, the um, the viewers uh, seem to really respond to it as well too. So they've been enjoying the, uh, the, the, you know, smaller scale, uh, session in the sense that it's going to be a shorter period, uh, not smaller scale, a number of players. Cause boy, do we have a lot of players in that one, but yeah, it's going really, really well. I'm, I'm glad that I made the switch myself. It's, it's been a real joy running that. And it's been a lot less work than, uh, you know, uh, than having a, manage a bunch of different games for much smaller groups that may have absences and themselves over the course of the play. So yeah, so anyway, that's, that's where things stand for legacy of the crystal shard. All right. So last thing maybe I'll talk about today is, um, the game has been, um, kind of monopolizing my attention, uh, during the quarantine for reading. Uh, and that is, uh, the, the Genesis uh, RPG published by uh, six more vodka. Uh, now, uh, this game was a bit of a, not a bit of a, it's quite of a, a niche game for uh, uh, quite some time, it seems, just because it was very difficult to get copies of the thing in uh, in print. It's a post-apocalyptic game with a very, uh, I mean, a very, very distinctive uh, and beautiful art style behind it. The, the people at Six More Vodka primarily are 
uh, a bunch of artists in a design studio that do uh, write like the type of design work you'd expect for illustration for advertisement and things like that concept work comics in some cases but uh, the the art in uh, the Genesis definitely sets it apart from uh, most other uh, I mean to be honest most other role-playing games uh, in addition to most other uh, kind of uh, post-apocalyptic games and it looks I mean for a, a mini game it looks way 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 or a small publisher way 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 better than uh, almost any other comparable product I've seen it's incredible um, the uh, let's see here the um, system itself is something called catharsis uh, it's a, a game that they have uh, a, a custom system they put up to, put together themselves that effectively it works very similar to the um, uh, what's the system I'm thinking of here the uh, ubiquity uh, system where you're basically rolling d6s and you're, and you're looking for successes come from uh, four or five or six rolls and then you also on a roll of a six get something called a uh, threat I think it's called and or trigger not a threat it's a, it's a T word a trigger and what uh, that is kind of like your it's the measures both the quality of the success as well as the um, uh, what do you call it so the quality of the success and the uh, critical hits, effectively, that, that uh, you can uh, trigger uh, when it's in like a combat situation. So um, I haven't got to the table yet, and I haven't finished reading uh, the whole thing because it is—it's a very uh, so. One of the things that that makes it differ from other post-apocalyptic games, or significantly, is the the conceit of the apocalypse in this one is that there were a series of uh, asteroids. It, it posits a kind of near future transhumanism or a low level amount of uh, transhumanism so not quite as you know advanced as like um i don't know gosh like even like blade runner maybe maybe blade runner is a, a decent minus the bioengineering but in terms of how like the future looks very much like what uh what our future does what are you doing here buddy well turn your signal off idiot sorry some <laughs> dumbass was trying to get through an intersection. This is why I maybe shouldn't record while I'm driving. Um, the um, yeah, so the, it's a it's a very very uh, low level of transhumanism uh, in the sense that it's not like cybernetics or uh, you know uh, people inhabiting other bodies like you would in altered carbon. Um, it's it's more the you know like that. There's a nanotech revolution that's in its very very early stage. Um, uh, AI is uh, a developing thing, uh, or at least it's kind of hinted at. Um, but the thing is, the most, uh, the thing that happens is these asteroids come crashing onto the planet, and then what that causes is a um, uh, not only the you know kind of like the blacking out of the world of the skies and things like that, and the devastation that uh, asteroid impacts would would carry with them. Um, there's also a series of alien uh, like spores or alien. Um, uh, kind of like genetic agents, I guess, uh, that are um, kind of like, uh, I mean, what, what they, they do is they, they will change the, the living uh, things around them, but in different ways. So there's different kind of, like from different impact sites, there's different changes that are, are wrought. And that's where you get like the, you know, the, so there's psionics uh, in the game that are basically caused by mutations uh, from the um, from the the things hitting the or the spores changing 
the people they're exposed to, but it's each of the different sort of like um, psionic kind of. I, I'm I'm giving it a very very banal kind of description. It is way more evocative in the game, but effectively what it is is there's different kinds of like special powers that have developed. Like there's psychokinetics that have developed around what was once uh, Italy, and there are. Um, uh, precognitives that have been have developed around what is uh, what was um, Spain. Um, there are these really interesting kind of like mind control types called uh, pharaomancers, uh, which are uh, with a ph, which are kind of like uh, they use pheromones to control other creatures. So there's a weird kind of science quality to it. But in, in addition to that, the exposure to those spores can cause um, transformations. They can cause you to transform, you know. And so the, the neat thing is, is that the game has found a very clever and uh, slick way of incorporating a lot of the tropes that you see in post-apocalyptic fiction, including like mutations and non-human species and things like that. You're seeing them as, um, what do you call it? Um, with this veneer of uh kind of biological horror, you know, or body horror kind of elements as opposed to, like, the radiation you would see in uh, uh, in other uh, settings, in more traditional settings. And that's kind of... I, I like that a great deal because it... Um, you know, whereas the traditional kind of post-apocalyptic fi- uh, stuff, you kind of have to swallow that there is... that radiation causes the kind of changes that just don't exist. Like, it's more like cartoon radiation or comic book radiation as opposed to cancer and cell tissue damage and things like that that you see from real radi- exposure to radiation. So it's it's pretty clever that it gets to have its cake and eat it too in the sense that it it does have, you know, uh, special, you know, crazy powers from mutations and um, also, like, you know, the threat of exposure to that stuff causing you to mutate without having to rely on bad science or silly science, you know, so it, uh, it, it gets to be a fairly realistic, quote unquote, realistic take on, uh, on that, those kind of ideas. Uh, so yeah, so it's really, it's very cool in that sense. Uh, the player characters don't get access to those kind of powers, at least not the extreme ones. Um, those are clearly set as adversaries in it, but there are really interesting ways that, um, the different characters can get some ways that are, you know, that are different there, you know, there's different, uh, uh, there's one, um, group, like the way you make your characters in it, you pick a, uh, a culture. So like the region you're from, you pick a, um, uh, call, I think it's called a calling. And it's basically like, uh, kind of like archetypes, like a, maybe like a tarot archetype. Um, and then you have your cult, and the cult is not necessarily a religious organization. It's just the the group that you throw in with, and it's the group through which you you gain ranks. And their sort of way of of getting tracking your like overall power level is through the ranks in these organizations. So if you have the certain requirements, you get to move up within the organization uh, to start, and then in game you will you will advance um, otherwise. Um, as the game plays along, you'll gain XP, and then XP can be spent to raise skills and uh, attributes. And the it's it's a skill pool system, so you'll add your attribute to your skill to figure out how many D6s you roll. You're going to roll those things, see how many successes and triggers you get, and then that will you know you measure that against the uh, difficulty of the uh, task, and that'll tell you how many um, 
you know, uh, what, what uh, your the outcome of your uh, your task was or your your effort. Um, and as you gain, so as you gain levels, you'll gain uh, additional, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? You'll get additional, um, uh, you know, additional uh, ways of gaining um, the uh, ranks in in your game and and spending XP to gain new ranks and skills and attributes. But there's another uh, thing that you have, which is your backgrounds. And the backgrounds are things you start with at a set level, but then they will fluctuate throughout play. And those are things like allies or resources or uh, networking, which is like contacts within other cults. And it's a that one I, I really particularly like because it, it's a cool way of giving rewards to players without uh, you know just giving them loot or giving them um, you know uh, giving them. XP. Uh, it's an it's another neat way of, of incentivizing certain types of play, uh, and also modeling the changes in story to what the characters are doing. So uh, that's pretty cool. And the setting itself is fantastically deep, but accessible. Like I found it very. At first, I was a little like, Jesus, this is a lot to take in, but it's very. It's presented in a very compelling way, and. Uh, it's all in fiction, which is really, really interesting. Um, there's, that's not to say like the rules themselves are, are in the, the, the core set consists of two different books, but you can get them for free from the degenesis.com website. Um, the rules are, uh, are very, um, they're presented in a, you know, in a conversational kind of way, but the rest of the material, setting material, is presented very kind of in fiction and also very weirdly conversational. Um, you know, it's got a very distinctive voice to it, and I like I can see that the game is definitely not going to be for everyone. Uh, there's, a, there's decidedly a lot of adult content in it, um, though the game makes it clear that you can choose how much of that you want to include, uh, how much you want to ignore. Um, but the the way that the game is presented, if it is to your liking, it's really, it's really, really fun to engage. It's really fun to rule, to read and try and piece together where everything fits. Like, I've, I was forcing myself to go through the, of the two books, there's one called Primal Punk and there's one called Catharsis. And Catharsis is their system, their, you know, game mechanic for it. And I found myself bouncing back and forth. Like, I'd be, I'd be reading a little further forward in, uh, in the Primal Punk book and then I would switch over and read something else you know, in the uh, in the rules book, and then that would take me back to the the Cathar- the uh, Primal Punk book. But it's um, it is full of great ideas. There is a very active Discord on it too, which, to be honest, I find a little overwhelming. Uh, it's just there's too much chat on there, so it's just too much to keep up with. Um, it's what I fear about. To, well, one of the reasons why I was reluctant to get involved with Discord in the first place, because on active Discord servers, it's just it's a fucking chore trying to keep up with with the chat. So it uh, and it's a bit of that case with this one, but what is cool is the creators are pretty active on there, and uh, they, yeah, I mean, like they're very much of the mind that like the work should just speak for itself. They don't explain stuff beyond whatever's in there, and there are a couple of adventures out for it as well too. Um, what I understand is this is the second edition of it too. So second edition, uh, which starts with the um, Degenesis Rebirth. Uh, stuff the stuff you'll find on the for free on that website. That stuff has three adventures. Um, uh, I think it's in thy blood, 
the second one is called The Killing Game, I think. Um, and the third one is called Black Atlantic. And they are really unusual presentations of adventures as well, too. They're more like loose narratives of what should go through in the adventure with some game stats, uh, you know, at the end. And it definitely requires more work on the part of the DM. Uh, and even reading it, too, like, it requires a lot more work. The response that they often give to people asking questions is, you'll find the answer in the book. Go read the books. Once you finish reading the books, they then come back and ask us questions. And, again, like, it is not... Um, it's not something that is is friendly necessarily for the casual reader to get into. Uh, it will require uh, effort to, to get through the material. Uh, and, but what I've seen so far has been enormously rewarding. And it, I should say as well, it does not appear that you need to read all of that stuff in order to play the game. You need to read it all in order to fully appreciate the world. And, um, you know, if you want to run the game and be able to answer players' questions, then yeah, you do need to go through that stuff. But it reminds me and uh, very much of something I've mentioned on the podcast before, which is the the way that 3rd uh, edition, 2nd edition, and 3rd edition uh, Shadowrun told you the meta plot or the backstory of the world through the in-fiction chatter. And I, I love that stuff. Like That was something that I just adored about Shadowrun back in the day. And why I was so obsessive about the third edition of that game is just because I, did, I loved learning the the backstory and the, and the meta plot because they, they didn't tell you everything. You had to sort of, you know, make suppositions or try and draw conclusions from little tidbits and clues. And this is very, very much the same. It, it reminds me also of uh, Simbaroom, uh, a game I mentioned on one of the uh, most recent uh, episodes of the podcast. But this one in particular, man, it's just, it's, I, I love the post-apocalyptic uh, setting for it. I love that it is a grounded uh, setting. You, you're not getting into, you know, an, another game that came out, actually arrived the same day that my copies of Genesis arrived, was my uh, kick-started copies of um, Savage Rifts, for the Savage Worlds rules adapted to playing Rifts, and it's awesome, and those books are super fun. Um, I am much more interested in running Genesis than I am in running Savage Rifts because it isn't that Wahoo kind of, you know, post-apocalyptic. This is a, a cohesive world that I can believe is a, you know, uh, is a living and breathing world that makes it easier for me to present it as such for the players. You know, um, the game really wants you to have uh, your players uh, and, and their characters be invested in that world. Uh, your characters by having things to, that they believe and they want to fight for and they want to achieve, and the players by having things they care about, the characters they, they want to root for, the teams they want, the cults, you know, they want to root for, the, the enemies they want to face. And that's pretty cool. Like, that's a, that's a really, um, that's what you want from any good, you know, role-playing game. And in this one in particular, I, I think that the system is going to do the game many favors because it should run fairly quickly. You know, the the way that it uh, appears to play is very much like how um, many of the games that I've been uh, kind of leaning towards in the last little while, the ones that play faster and looser and just get out of the way of you having a good story. Um, and so, so I like that a lot. There's some good uh, rules for survival, for uh, scrounging, uh, for bartering, and there are uh, the, the advancement rules seem like they are will do just kind of get, I'll be able to just focus on handing out XP and not worry about the characters um, you know getting to the point of breaking the system or breaking the rules 
so that's pretty cool. And the adventures themselves are really interesting. Uh, like very different. All three of them have a very different kind of approach, and it's really neat to see what they think you would they you should do as a DM with their setting. You know, it's it's always helpful to have that perspective, and it's and it's amazing they gave that they made all the stuff free. Uh, so you know, you've got nothing to lose by downloading even just the core rulebook and flipping through it. If nothing else, the art is fucking incredible. And then you, the more you invest in trying to interrogate that world and learn that world, the more uh, the more um, it, you'll you'll find it paying back because it's just it. The overall picture of the world is really interesting. Now, if you want to have a setting that has a clear like clear answers to your you know, to your uh, decisions or to your questions, uh, this may not be the game for you because it um, you you know it doesn't have answers to some of the things. But the creators, unlike a lot of the games from the '90s, where you you were very careful, you didn't want to include too much of the meta plot because the later books that would come out would fuck over what you had introduced. They'd screw up your campaign. These guys, in particular, say do whatever you want. You know, we may have books come out that may invalidate, but they don't. They're not coming out, you know, in a huge. They're not coming out the way that um, books did in, in, uh, in some of these earlier games. Um, and they're also trying to avoid giving concrete answers to things necessarily. They really want you to take and run and come up with your own ideas for how these things work out. And some of them, the secrets of the setting. I'm not going to spoil anything here for anyone who may be playing in this, but like the they are so good. There's so many cool ideas that you can run with as a DM. Um, and, and I mean, you can choose to just focus on the kind of like our tribe versus another tribe thing that is, you know, like the second Mad Max film or, you know, a, a corrupt ruler kind of thing. And your characters go in and try and free people from that the way, you know, a la Thunder, you know, Escape from Thunderdome. Um, or just, you know, a single character uh, who's bringing you along on their mission a la, you know, Fury Road. You can do any of that stuff. Most, uh, like, kind of broad uh, quests and stuff like that that you would do in a fantasy game, you would also be able to do in this. There are monsters. There are evil men. There are, you know, um, uh, very cool and evocative cults that all do not get along, you know? So you can really make some very interesting uh, villains as well, too, who are you know, of that classic, they think that they're doing the right thing. They're not, they don't know their villains kind of villains for the thing. So, and the world is definitely on the cusp of, of lots of big changes that they set up. But the nice thing is, is that you're not seeing, at least from the adventures that we've got out so far, they're not seeing massive changes to it too. So, um, it also reminds me a bit of Dark Sun in, in, um, I don't know why. I mean, probably because it's a post-apocalyptic thing, but that idea that you could, you know, I don't know, you could lose anything, at the drop of a hat, you know, from you traveling to a different town, and there's some there. It's a cohesive vision of what their their version of the post-apocalypse is like, which is sometimes a, a problem I have with, say, like rifts. I don't know what the average town in rifts looks like, but I can picture it in this because of the evocative in-world uh, descriptions they give of that stuff. So. Yeah, so I mean that's the game. I'm not finished reading it yet. I'm not. I haven't got it to the table yet. So I'm reserving my. You know, this may be a really, really evocative and interesting world with a kind of a, a weak game system. But right now, that's a thing I'm reading a lot. And uh, be, if you're like me and stuck at home a lot of the time, and you're looking for something uh, new to read, and you want to ignore that stack of books that you already purchased, 
um, you're losing nothing by downloading a copy of the, uh, at the very least, the core rulebook to flip through and see if the art looks cool for you. So that is uh, my current obsession with uh, Degenesis. So um, I think that's it for, for this episode. Let me uh, wrap this up and I'll uh, get to the outro. And then uh, hopefully next episode we'll be back with an actual topic that I'll talk about uh, as opposed to, oh, and I'll, I'll mention something in the outro as well too that's been uh, a development um, on my end. Okay, so that is um, that is that for the episode. Um, now, the other thing I meant or I, I, that's happened in the uh, in the interim is we have finally uh, actually set up a uh, Patreon on the uh, in relation to the Dungeon Musings uh, YouTube channel. Um, well, I mean, to be honest, it's just my general Dungeon Musings stuff. I have a, a Patreon set up right now, um, and as um, you know, as uh, regular viewers will know, I have uh, also had a charity uh, fundraising campaign running since we, I mean, for the last couple of years now, uh, called Heroes Save Villages, uh, that it benefits the SOS Children's Villages International Charity. And uh, for a long time, we, I keep saying we, but I was struggling with whether I had people who were um, aware of the charity but were interested and requesting uh, that I set up a Patreon uh, instead. They wanted to support the channel and, and whatever else. And I, you know, the channel and the, this uh, podcast are very much labors of love for me. So I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't see them as, as a, uh, I don't, I never contemplated them as being like a um, jobs or like a revenue stream. But what um, is, what I decided is uh, to, and I, well, I guess, and also I didn't want uh, potential monies that would be going to SOS Children's Villages International to end up going to me instead uh, by way of the Patreon. So I had resisted that for quite some time, but I recent this year, uh, beginning of the year, I had decided to set it up. And of course, I found myself with um, either procrastinating or just um, to be honest, that's probably what it was. And it wasn't until really in the middle of a pandemic that I actually set the damn thing up. So of course, you know, like uh, other excellent plans of mine. I have uh, decided to set up the Patreon on the cusp of what is expected to be the most uh, significant economic downturn uh, in more than a century. So <laughs> there you are. But um, I do have that Patreon set up right now too. Uh, and what the plan is for the Patreon is to use whatever uh, funds come from that to help uh, offset costs for the players. Uh, so to get books for them, um, if they do not have books that we are playing, these are the players who are part of our uh, roster, um, to uh, pay for the hardware uh, that uh, uh, makes up the, and I guess the other like software infrastructure. So roll 20 costs and things like that. But those things will be, um, yeah, I mean, like the, the, to be honest, I'll be paying for those one way or the other. It's really just a matter of if anyone does uh, want to support the channel, then that's what I will be using that uh, that money to uh, to do. Um, and yeah, and that includes just this podcast as well too. I mean, this podcast is very much a um, a mom and pop operation in the sense of just I record this in the Jeep when I'm driving around. Uh, so you know, I I don't uh, foresee there being substantial changes uh, to the format of this podcast as a result of this. Um, I do have some uh, some plans in mind if we had access to funds that we might try on the channel uh, that would be more uh, something closer to this uh, or even like being able to um, pay someone to transfer the uh, audio content from those things into 
uh, formats that we could share on the podcast. That's something I would contemplate as well. Um, but primarily what I wanted to do is uh, to, uh, that is a way of offsetting the, or uh, not offsetting, but like to uh, support and, and thank the players who play in my games uh, for the enormous amount of uh, time that they put in and the effort they put into playing these things. And um, yeah, and to contributing to the content of the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. So so anyway, so if you're curious in, uh, as to in future episodes when I talk about the Patreon, that's my, my thoughts for why I'm setting it up and uh, what I'm hoping to do with it. So if you do uh, decide to uh, support the um, the channel and this podcast on the Patreon in advance, thank you so much. Uh, though, again, like if you are uh, inclined to donate to the charity, uh, I, I would encourage you to consider that first. Um, that's if you're inclined to uh, support the channel at all financially and, and are in a position to do that. Again, I can appreciate this is a very scary time for everybody and it's going to be a very uncertain time for a lot of people uh, economically in the uh, in the coming years. So um, with that in mind, I'm going to say my goodbyes. Uh, so uh, for everyone who listened to this all the way to the end here, thank you so much for listening to yet another episode of my uh, rambling and my yelling at other drivers. Um, as always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding this, uh, you can reach me by uh, email or on Twitter at Dungeon Musings. You can reach me by email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find on any of our recent videos on the Dungeon Musings uh, YouTube channel, you can find a link to the uh, Dungeon Musings Discord server where you can find uh, all of us. We have channels dedicated to all the channels or all the uh, games we run on the channel as well as assorted games, um, some specific games that we run regularly like AD&D and Starfinder and things like that. Um, you can also find a, find a game group. You can find uh, a really good discussion recently about uh, setting yourselves up to play uh, streaming games. So if you're interested in the, this lockdown time and getting trying to play uh, virtually with your players, uh, or with um, your DM and fellow players, then uh, you can find some good advice on there comparing the different available virtual tabletops. Um, and uh, you also can... Um, no, I think that's it. There's no other way. <laughs> that's it. So, um, yeah. Oh, you can also leave me a voice message on Anchor if you're listening to this on Anchor. So, otherwise, uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope this finds you healthy, safe, and weathering the current crisis well. Um, I hope you're finding some times to uh, roll some dice and take your mind off the current kind of dumpster fire that the world uh, is right now. Uh, but I guess the upside is the, the lovely, lovely way that people seem to be treating each other in a lot of circumstances, in a lot of cases. People saying hi in the street for no damn reason. Uh, you know, it's just, a, it really is as much as a, a, this is an unfortunate time. It is lovely seeing the way that um, this has brought out so many of the better uh, sides of, uh, of humanity as well. So uh, I really hope that you're uh, getting exposed to that and you're, you're, this finds you, yeah, it finds you well. Um, until I talk to you again, until I speak to you again, thank you so much for listening and happy gaming.